Let me tell you what we're doing. We're going through the book of Acts. We're going through the book of Acts line by line, verse by verse. We're learning so much. And the reason we're doing this is because the Bible, this book that was written over a period of 1,500 years or so by about 40 authors, is a book that, ha- that is applicable to our lives right now in 2019. Because this book had divine authorship at a deeper level, the Holy Spirit of God gave us this book as a teaching for how to live our lives and how to know him. This book alone won't do it. The Holy Spirit of God, through this book, will teach us how to live our lives. So if you guys have read the Bible and you're like, man, I don't know what it means and it's just all confusing to me, that's because you read it without the Spirit's help. So that's why we just stood up and prayed. Because if we just study this book, it's like studying some old ancient novel. Have you guys read the Iliad and Odyssey? I mean, you just like this, you know, you, you kind of get something out of it. Because this book is not like that. Because this book with the Spirit of God is going to teach you how to live your lives. So we need His Spirit. We need His divine, supernatural work in our hearts, even right now. And so that's going to happen. If you go on it, if you don't want it, it's not going to happen. So we're going through this book of Acts. The, the book of Acts is an account written by Dr. Luke of what the spirit of Jesus did through his followers in the years after Jesus stepped off this planet. Jesus left about 1900-something years ago, almost 2,000 years ago, but with the promise that he's coming back after we finished the job that he gave us to do when he left. So we're in the process of accomplishing that job. We're not just sitting back waiting for Jesus to do his thing. He is the one who's waiting for us to do what he gave us to do. So we're doing it. That's part of the training that you guys are going through here at the Cornerstone. So we're in Acts chapter 14. And what has happened here, what we studied about last week was what Paul and Barnabas, P and J, did in the city of Lystra. They go into Lystra. The Holy Spirit of God through Paul, heals the guy who's been lame from birth, and the people freak out, and they start worshiping Paul and Barnabas. And so we talked about last week how it's so typical that when people see God do his work, that they end up worshiping the thing that God does or the thing that God made rather than God himself. So we talked about that last week. Now we're in verse 19. I was hoping we'd get through all this last week, but we didn't get there. So this is where we're in, in chapter 14, verse 19. Then some Jews came from Antioch. This is Pisidian Antioch. There's two Antiochs. There's an Antioch in Syria, and there's an Antioch in modern-day Turkey. Okay, this is, the, this is the Antioch in Turkey, Pisidian Antioch. So some Jews come from Pisidian Antioch and Iconium. They come where? Where are they coming to? city that we read about last week. Lystra. Okay, they come to Lystra from Pisidian Antioch and Iconium, and they won the crowd over. Too bad. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. That's pretty bad stoning. But after the disciples had gathered around him, that is, gathered around Paul, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. Verse 21, they preached the good news in that city and won a large number of disciples. That is, in the city of Derby. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church, in each of the cities, that is, and with prayer and fasting committed those 
leaders to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. After going through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia, and when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. From Italia, they sailed back to Antioch. This is the Antioch, this is a different Antioch than what we just read about. This is Antioch in Syria, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work that had now been completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together. This is back at their home church in Syrian Antioch. Okay, they've been gone for a few years. They're back now. They gathered the church together. They're like, dude, you got to hear what, we, what God did during our time away. They reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. Gentiles are people who are not Jews. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. Okay. If you were preaching, what would you preach on? I mean, you guys, again, you guys remember what I said last week about the, walking through a thousand-room hotel? You're walking down the hallway, and there's a room here, and a room here, and a room here, and you're thinking, you know what's going on behind all those doors? But you only get to open one door because that's all you paid for, right? Okay? When you're studying the Bible, I just want you to get this picture again. As you're going through the Bible, you're walking through those words of Scripture, and it's, you can take almost any verse and think, okay, that's cool. Or you can open the door into that room, and there's all kinds of stuff behind that door going on. So, if you were preaching tonight, what would you preach from that? Okay, there's a bunch that we could talk about. But this is, we're going we're to start here, about, but I want you guys to think about what happened in verse 19 when these Jews come from Pisidian Antioch and Iconium. They come to the city of Lystra where this guy has been healed. And I want you to think about, they come there, verse 19, what's their motivation? To turn the crowd against Paul and Barnabas. Ultimately, the devil's behind this. He wants to turn the people in Lystra against the way of Jesus, right? Okay. I want us to learn a little bit, maybe you'll learn what not to be like from these Jews, Okay. They, they, they come there because in their minds, this group of Jews comes from Pisidian, Antioch, and Iconium because in their minds, they've got the way to live right. And it's not enough for them to live right. They feel like they, it's their responsibility to tell everybody else how they're supposed to be like them. Okay? And it matters so much to them that they're, they're, they're willing to get a group together and go all that way to kill Paul. It matters to them. Think about how many days of work they missed to be able to go to go get to Lister to kill Paul. It matters to them to get there and do their thing. I, I want you guys to think about people that have something, some agenda that matters to them so much that they're willing to leave their family or their job to go take care of something just because they're trying to make other people think the way that they think. What do you call that kind of obsession? Control freak? OCD? I don't know if that's what OCD Maybe we all got a little OCD at one point or another. But these guys are like, man, we don't, it's not enough for them to follow, to try to follow God in their way. They want to force everybody else to do it. Have you guys ever had a boss like that? It's like, yeah, Kevin's not in his head. It's like, they're, you're looking over your shoulder trying to tell you how to brush your teeth. It's like, can you just leave me alone? Because they want you to do their, you, their thing their way. Okay, but here's what I want you guys to think about. Aren't Paul and Barnabas doing the same thing? 
I mean, Paul and Barnabas, they've left their home. They're out on this mission because they're trying to get people to think their way. Okay, what's the difference? What's the difference between Paul and Barnabas' motivation and strategy and this, this team of Jews who come to Lystra? Is there a difference? There's a difference. Okay, what's the difference? Love. Okay, exactly. Paul and Barnabas are motivated by the love of Jesus. And let me just tell you guys how the love of Jesus works. Paul, what's different between, about Paul and Barnabas and these Jewish people that come to Lystra is that the love of Jesus is never forced. Never making people do what they don't want to do. The way of righteousness, the way of truth, the way of Jesus, guys, it must be chosen. And if you try to make people accept things they don't want to accept, they just go the other way. Think about you guys know you guys remember Dean? Dean left about a year ago, right? Was it a year ago? How long ago did Dean leave? Maybe it's been more than a year. And Dean, Dean, you know, Dean was just inching closer and closer to Jesus, but he was he still wasn't sure. And just before he left to go back to Japan, he went to a church um, that some friends had invited him to. And after the service was over, over it was a small church, the pastor sat him down and said, why don't you become a Christian? He said, because I'm not sure I believe yet. And the pastor said, you just need to believe. And Dean was like, well, if I don't believe, how can I make, I, I have, this has to make sense to me. And he put so much pressure on Dean that when Dean came to my house a couple days later, he's like, Steve, I don't want to go to any church like that ever again. Do you guys know what, I, what I'm talking about? Because the difference between how these, this group of Jews who came to Lystra did their work and the way that Paul and Barnabas is, was doing their work, the difference is that the truth of God can never be forced. And here's why. Because our, the truth of Jesus is all about a love relationship with him. And you can't force somebody to love what they don't want to love. In fact, this is, this is just good advice for life. You can sometimes, this is actually worth writing down and living by. You can sometimes make people do what they don't want to do. But you can never make people love what they don't want to love. And if you try, they just get irritated. And some of you guys know what that's like as you've tried it with the girl. And some of you girls know what that's like as you have the guy try it. And some of you are laughing because you know what I'm talking about. If you fell in love with the guy, it was because he gave you the freedom to not. Right? The girls are nodding their heads. At least they're nodding their heads inside. It's the way it is. You can't force a person to love. I want you guys to see. Um, can you throw that, that picture up there? Okay. Have you guys seen have you guys seen people doing evangelism like this? How many of you, okay, ever, raise your hand if you came to Jesus because of one of these posters. Okay, raise your hand if you know anybody who came to Jesus because of one of these posters. Okay, I could say raise your hand if you've been out there holding one of these posters, but I don't think anybody has. Okay, because this is not how we do evangelism. Now, let me ask you guys, is this, is this 
phrase true? Yeah, it can be true. Hope it's not true for you guys. Okay. Okay, it can be true. But as true as it might be, nobody decided that they're going to fall in love with God because of this. Instead, the reason that you guys are here, if you're here for the long haul, if you're here out of real sincere commitment to Jesus, it's not because you were forced into it or because somebody pressured you or manipulated you. It's because you got an experience of the goodness and kindness of God. That's what Paul was preaching about last week that we talked about. Here's what I want you guys to get. We can't force people to like God, and we can't force people to like Steve. We can't do it. Some do and some don't. And the more you try, the more it is worse. So get the, the worse it gets. So why, why is it? Let me, let me, as we think about those, those Jews who go to Antioch to try to convince the people to not follow Paul, I want to ask you guys to think about Christians, or at least at least people who call themselves Christians, why they resort to this kind of tactics. Whitewashed tombs, okay. In order to look all nice on the outside, yeah. I think it's easier. It's way easier. It is way easier to tell people how rotten they are than to love them in their rottenness. It's true. I mean, and also, when we, if we all, if, if we did a campaign, it would be way easier for me to raise up an army of people to go and carry these kinds of signs than it is for me to raise up an army of people who will live their lives motivated by love. And this way, when it comes to evangelism, if it wasn't for the power of the Holy Spirit, Christianity is at a disadvantage because every other religion can use manipulative tactics and forceful tactics and fear to gain converts. And we never do if we're led by the Holy Spirit. We never do. Can't force it. It can't, it can't happen. So, the Jews show up in Lystra, and they win the crowd over. They stone Paul and drag him outside the city, thinking he's dead. Guys, here's the point of all that. Let's not do evangelism that way. So Paul gets stoned, and let me, let me ask you this. Has anybody, have any of you guys ever been hit in the head with a rock? Have you guys ever been hit in the head with a rock by somebody who wasn't being very nice to you? Okay. And how did it feel? You threw it right back. <laughs> Never have a rock fight with Ashley. <laughs> you were a little? Okay. What's the biggest rock that you had thrown in your head? Okay. Okay, here, how long, here's my question. How long did it take for the, for the rock injury to heal? Quite a while. I mean, if you've been hit with one rock in the head, you get that, you know, that black and blue muck that, that everybody's like, man, who hit you, right? Okay, so think about what Paul's, what's happened to Paul. Paul gets hit, hit in the head with a rock. He gets hit more than just in the head. He gets pounded by rocks, and it really, really hurts, and how do you think he looks the next day? He well, yeah, he looked dead. He gets up and he goes back into the city. I want you guys to see that. He goes back into the city. Why does he go back in the city? 
is Oregon. I mean, how many of you guys have been pounded by fists and rocks by people who were who hated you? Does anybody have that? Okay, I've had that experience more times than I like, but I didn't grow up in Texas. Um, but okay, when that happened, when that ha has happened to you, I mean, is your thought, oh, let me go back for more? <laughs> no. I mean, Paul didn't have to go back in the city. Paul gets up. He goes back. To, why, why does he go back in the city? Why does he do this? What's that? He's compelled because he's not giving up. He is compelled by the love of Christ. For the love of Christ compels us, Paul says. Because we're convinced that one died, and therefore all died, and he died for all, so that those who live would no longer live for themselves, but live for him. And so if they throw rocks in my head a second time, it's worth it. That's Paul's attitude. He's not giving up. And also he wants to say goodbye to these guys before he leaves. So he says goodbye to the guys in Lystra, and he wants to prove to them that true believers aren't afraid of rocks in the head. I think he's, he's teaching these people how to follow Jesus. And to follow Jesus means, okay, they, they pounded me yesterday, but I'm not afraid of anything today. I'm not afraid. So he goes back in the city. But I think there's some, another reason that is really significant as I was studying through this today that I never thought of before that comes out of this rock-in-the-face experience that Paul has. And this is that. I think, I think this is a point where Paul earns the respect of the believers. Not just here, but all over the area, all over the Middle East where Christianity had spread. He earns the respect of believers because, do you remember who the last person was who was stoned? Stephen. And who was responsible for getting him who forgot? It was Paul. And as Stephen is dying, do you remember what Stephen says? Forgive them. Stephen prays for Paul. And the Holy Spirit answers Stephen's prayer and brings Paul to him. And now Paul is doing the work that Stephen would have done. Do you think that maybe he felt, that I just wish... I could have the experience of being as great as Stephen was in face of death. I think he longed for that. I think, he, remember he says that he, they looked at Stephen's face and his, his face was like the face of an angel. I don't know what that means exactly, but I think Paul remembered that. And Paul's saying, I want to prove that I love Jesus that much too. And he gets his opportunity here, but he doesn't die. He doesn't die. And instead... He writes about the joy of suffering with Christ. He talks about it in, in, a few years later when he writes to the church in Philippi, and this is what he says in Philippians 3.10. He says, he's talking about what he wants in life, what his motivation is in life. He says, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ and the power of his, do you guys know? Resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And Paul gets his dream later on, and it looks like he's getting his dream this day, but not yet. 
Instead, he gets pounded by rocks and gets up. And how does he look the next day as he's saying goodbye to his friends in Lystra? He looks like a guy who's been smashed by rocks. <laughs> and how long do those scars on his body last? Probably for the rest of his life. In fact, he talks about it in, in, when he writes to the church in Galatia. And he, ends the ch- he ends the book of, of Galatians, Galatians 6.17. He says, I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. And I know, I know that I, the, uh, there's a healthy pride that surely he feels that gave him legitimacy among all the churches to be able to proclaim at a level that was more authoritative because he'd suffered and passed the test for loving Jesus. And I know, you know, back when I was a kid in the Philippines, you guys, you guys know that I grew up in the Philippines in a little tribal group. And um, actually, would you just type in into Google, would you type in my last name, Headland, and Giant Snake? And um, I want you guys to, has, have you guys seen our pet snake? Go ahead and pe- um, type that in there. Let's stick it up here. But here's the deal. So many of the, of the tribal guys that I grew up with, they had fought giant snakes. And so many of them had scars in their body uh, that they, where, where they killed the snake, but they got bit before they, they killed it. And those scars were worn like, uh, are you, can you get to Google? Okay. Those scars were worn like a badge of honor. And I never wanted to get bit by a giant snake, but I kind of envied, envied my friends who had those scars. Because, I mean, there, it really, really was a sign of manhood, man. I killed, you know, they got the stories like, yeah, you know, this one came from, I was walking through the rainforest, and the snake got me. Okay. Okay, that's the skin. Okay. That, what's that? No, that's my sister. That's my older sister, Rachel. Okay. Okay, there, and there's a couple other pictures there of the snake before it was um, skinned. So th- that snake was 20, 22, feet 10, 22 feet 10 inches long. Yeah, almost 23 feet. So it was a big one, and we ate it for um, quite a while. Yeah, you want to see one of those? Who wants, to go, who wants to go to my tribe with me? Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you guys are great. Some of you guys didn't raise your hand. Okay. So, guys, this is, this is what I think Paul is doing. Huh? It's the third longest practice when I'm working. My dad's become, by accident, of this. He's written a book with the most renowned snake dude in the world who's actually going to send money to our, our um, scholarship project. Okay, that's another thing. But. The idea of wearing a scar as a badge of honor, I think is what's going on. Yeah, there's a, the same snake. There's, these guys are like my uncles. Okay, you can, you can put that away. But here's, here's what Paul proves. is Paul proves that he passes the test of faithfulness in extreme suffering. I just finished a book called The Insanity of God about suffering of Christians around the world. And the he tells of when he was with these church leaders, these underground church leaders in China, how it's really not, you're really not an accepted leader. You're not really a recognized leader until you've spent time in prison. And no matter where you're in a Bible school, no matter who you, what you've learned, if you haven't spent time in prison, the the Chinese church does not look at you as a, full-fledged leader, because everybody, everybody's going to go to jail is what they've got in mind. Everybody's going to spend time in prison if they're serious about following Jesus. So it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when, if you're really serious about following him. And I thought, I want to do that. Yeah. I'm serious. I'm serious. Now, I don't, I, don't, I don't think I'm supposed to die yet, 
But I thought, okay, well, you know, why I'm going to going to share the gospel in. Well, actually, I shouldn't say where I'm going be, because um, of security reasons. But I'm going to share the gospel in a place where pe- where Christians are persecuted for their their faith. Um, and I'm thinking, what right do I have to to, to tell them how to follow Jesus? I haven't been, I haven't suffered the kinds of persecution that they've suffered. So I hope that I get to share as some someday. I hope I get to share in the sufferings, just like Paul said, I want to know Christ, the power of the resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And I thought, I want to be I want to have that attitude. And Lord, would it be that I don't die in a nursing home? I die at the hands of people who I get to share your message with. And I want to live that way. And yet I'm so disappointed that even that I think that yeah, I can pass that test in the future when I have trouble passing the tests that I'm facing today. In fact, I was sharing with the lead team upstairs how I treated my wife with more disrespect today than I have in a long, long time. I thought, what is wrong with me? I think I'm going to pass the test of being able to um, be faithful to Jesus in the face of death, and I can't even treat my wife with, I can't even speak to my wife nicely. So, so here's, my, here's my request of you guys. Here's what I want to ask you guys, who are my friends. Would you pray for me? I know you're praying for each other too, but I'm asking you specifically, would you pray for me that I would pass that test of treating my wife, I got, who knows my wife? I mean, she, she is sweet. And um, that I pass the test of treating my wife as the most important person in the world in every situation so that I can pass the bigger test later on. I'm asking for prayer. Who, who's willing to pray, for, pray that for me? I'm asking for real prayer, okay? Now, I know, I know any one of us could stand up here and say, yeah, pray for me about, about some issue. But guys, the Lord has been refining my life for years and years. I'm not perfect yet. And I need to pass that test, too. You can ask my wife how I'm doing. You can text her right now. How's Steve doing? Okay. She sent an emoji? Okay. Thank you. Okay. My, uh, she's, she's good. And um, I'm learning. Okay. So, he leaves. Paul Gets up, and the next day he and Barnabas leave for Derby. Derby's about 60 miles from Lystra. How long does it take to hike 60 miles? How long does it take to hike 60 miles after you've been pounded with rocks the day before? I mean, think about the most pain you've ever been in and having a hike. They hike for 60 miles. It's normally, what's that, it's about a five-day walk, but under being stoned conditions, it might be ten, it might be two weeks. Okay, why does Paul do it? Because the life of Christ compels him. It's worth whatever pain. Exactly. So, verse twenty-one. They preached the good news in that city, and they won a large number of disciples. And what do you think that Paul is thinking about? Well, he's preaching the gospel there. You know what I think he's thinking about? This is what he's thinking about. He's thinking. I gave up too easy back in Lystra. I gave up too easy. I'm not done in Lystra. I'm not going to let some pain in my body stop me from preaching the gospel there. And so, look at, the na- look at what happens. He goes back, 60 miles back, another couple of weeks of hiking, 
You see the second part of verse 21? Then they returned to Lystra. And if that's not enough, they go on to Iconium, where they got pounded, where they got kicked out of town, and they also go to Pisidian Antioch, all these places where they've just been persecuted. And why do they go back? Because the love of Christ compels them. They go back, and they go back for two specific reasons. One is in verse 22. They go back to strengthen the disciples and encourage them to remain true to the faith. Do you guys see that? I would underline that. And also, in verse 23, they go back to appoint elders in each church. Okay, so I want to talk about these two reasons, and then we're going to end. First reason they go back is they go back to, well, I just told you. What is it? They go back through all these places where they've been kicked out of town to what? Strengthen and encourage the believers there, and, and notice how they do it. Notice the phrase that they use. Notice what it says. We're going to strengthen you. Here's, what, here's the truth. We must go. You guys see what they say? We must go through a lot of trouble, a lot of hardships to enter the kingdom of God. You see what he says? Does that sound very encouraging? He goes back to encourage them, and he's like, guess what, guys? We've got to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. And I know what you guys are thinking. You're like, huh? I thought salvation was free. Okay, I want you guys to think about this, okay? You guys still with me? Is salvation free? Okay, well, then what's Paul talking about here? He's talking about working for Jesus. But what's he says, we've got to go through a lot of hardships to enter the kingdom of God. What's That is not heaven. Is that what you said? Yeah, the kingdom of God is more than just heaven. Well, well Paul's not contradicting himself saying that you've got to work to get right with God. Jesus, here, here's the truth. Salvation is free, my friends. Jesus paid for what percent of your sin? 100%. What do you have to do to pay for your sin? Nothing, guys. If Jesus paid 100% of your sin, you don't. there's nothing you can do to pay for more. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? Jesus paid for your sin. That means you don't have to go through a lot of hardships to be made right with God. Jesus went through those hardships for you. But what, what the, the truth of the gospel that so, so many people miss is that the, the building of Jesus' kingdom on this planet wasn't finished by Jesus himself. Instead, he shares the building of his kingdom project with you. And that is really really difficult. If you guys don't think it's difficult, then you're probably not doing a lot of kingdom building. It's hard. It is exhausting. And it will cost some of us our jobs and our relationships and our lives. We must go through many hardships for this kingdom of God to be built. That's what Paul's saying. And one of the most impacting verses in my life is Colossians 1.24, which I didn't understand for the longest time. Would you guys look at Colossians 1.24? You can put it up here too, Skyler. Colossians 1.24. This is Paul writing to the church in Colossae. A few years later. And this is what he says. He's talking about his sufferings again. He went through a bunch of suffering. And he says, I rejoice in what was suffered for you. It's like, Yeah! I got to suffer, and my suffering helped you guys know Jesus. And he's excited about it. He rejoices in it. I rejoice in what suffered for you, and I fill up 
in my flesh. That means in my body, in this physical body of mine, Paul's saying, I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions. And I read that for years and thought, lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions? What possibly could be lacking in, in, in Jesus' affliction? He said on the cross, it is finished. What more affliction would need to happen? And the answer is, for salvation, nothing. But for the people of the world to know the salvation that is available to them, it will cost you if you choose. And Paul says, I'm so happy that these scars on my body brought you guys life. And when I realized it, I thought, I want that too, Lord. I want to give my energy, my time. I want to wear myself out, bringing you glory by letting people know your goodness. And here's, here, right, right now, I just want you to ask yourself, just ask yourself this. You don't have to raise your hand, but just say, do I want that too? Do I, and, and not that you're doing it, not that we're perfect at it, not that we, I mean, obviously we're all learning, but do you want it? Would you like to, to, to participate like Paul wants to in the suffering of Jesus? If so, you probably get a chance to before the night's over in some way or another to say, nope, I'm going to not give into the comfort that this body wants for the sake of Jesus. Okay, so you guys understand where we're going here, okay? Paul says he goes back through those places, and he goes back to strengthen the church, telling them this kingdom-building thing is not for wimps. It's going to be hard. Okay, the second thing that he does is he appoints leaders. I think Paul would have wanted to stay with them. Think about Paul. He's a leader, right? He's a great leader, a great example. And he could have stopped at any one of those, um, those cities and started a mega church, had a great worship team, put up podcasts, Dr. Paul on the radio. I mean, think about it. But instead what he does is he knows there's more work to do. And so he's, he takes some guys, and he says, you're in charge, and moves on. Okay, I just want you, I want us to think about this a second. This is strategy. We're learning from the gospel, for, we're learning from the, the book of Acts about the kingdom building stuff. Okay? I want you guys to think about these guys that he appoints. He appoints people who have been in training for how long? A year at most? I mean, he hadn't been with them very long. He's been in all these cities over the past three years. He hasn't been there with them very long. And yet he points to them as leaders. Do these guys know the Bible? Do they know how to teach? Do they know how to preach? Do they know how to read? Do they know how to lead? What were these guys' names? What was their training? It doesn't tell us. But he entrusts to these guys the future of the churches in these cities. And he goes on because there's more work to do. And I thought, that's really quick. He takes these guys who have just come to Jesus, who he's brought to the Lord, and he puts them in charge. And I thought, we need multiplication like that. The church in China has a policy that's to multiply like rabbits. Okay, if you take two elephants, male and female elephant, 
and take male and female rabbit, by the time that the male and female elephant have a baby, how many rabbits do you got if they reproduce? 200,000 is what I read. Okay? So the, the church in China has this mentality. The church in China has this mentality. You become a, you become a believer today. Six months from now, we expect that you're going to be leaving our community to start a house church of your own. Six months. Okay. So here's what I want to say to you guys about that. What's it going to take for you? I'm talking, to, I'm talking to you guys. I'm talking to you. I'd like to talk to you each individually. But what's it going to take for you to be a pastor or a Bible teacher or to take my job? Here's the cornerstone. Or do the same thing elsewhere. And some of you are like, I just came to Bible study. I'm not interested. Well, what level are you interested in leading this campaign in? So what job do you want? We're in training. We're in training. So I've had the, uh, the, almost every week somebody's in my office talking about, how do I do full-time ministry? And here's my answer. My answer is, go do full-time ministry. <laughs> what are you waiting for? Do you need my approval? You got my approval. Go do it. But if, if often what they're asking is, what's the next step? Where am I moving? What if, what if I'm going to really do this full-time? Can I still get married and have enough money to survive? Well, again, my answer, my answer is start doing it. I, mean, I, never, I didn't plan to be a pastor. You guys know this. I didn't plan to be a pastor, but I, sp I spent 12 years doing the, at the just do it level. In fact, let me write this up here. So I just want to give you guys four levels and just think about where you want to be. But the, the like just, do, just do it level. Okay? I, spent, I had 12 years at that level. I wasn't planning to be a pastor. I wasn't trying to be a pastor. I was teaching the Bible. And it wasn't that I was teaching the Bible and doing ministry on the side. It was my main focus. And the job, or the jobs that I was working at the time, were just simply to support the ministry. Does that make sense? So if, you, if God's calling you, and I want you to think about it right now. Is God calling you to this? Because I'm, ta I'm, I'm talking to you. Is God calling you to this? If God's calling you to do this, then you start doing it. And it may be 12 years like it was for me before you become a pastor. I wasn't trying to be a pastor. First time that I realized that the church had hired me as a pastor was when I looked in the phone in the church directory back when we had a church directory, and I saw it says Steve Hedlund, singles pastor. I was like, what? That's what you hired me for? And at that point, I wasn't being paid because I wasn't trying to be paid. I was like, don't pay me. I'm doing this because I love Jesus, because I'm compelled by the love of Christ. Okay, so start where you're at right now. I'm asking you, start where you're at. Are you willing, for the sake of the, of the kingdom-building project that Jesus has called you to be a part of, are you willing to start right now? And here's my question. What can you do? Can you lead a small group? If, if you're thinking, God's calling me, and you, and you know, if you got that feeling in your heart, like, I know God's calling me, then... Can you lead a small group? We're not going to make you a pastor until you can lead a small group. And you're like, well, I can't even lead a small group. Here, can you lead one person? Some of you guys are doing the Luke devotional. And we've got to set up so that you can lead one other person. Can you, would, would you be willing to start to lead one other person in a devotional? Meeting with them once a week and praying with them and help, helping them to go through this devotional. Are you willing to work in the coffee shop? Maybe that's the level that you're at. Are you, and here, here's, here's, if you want to do ministry full time. Start where you work. You got people there who are dying because of the devil's work in their lives, and there is an answer that you have. Bring them to Jesus. Bring them here. 
I want you to think right now, what, who are the people in your life who you should have invited here tonight? There's no condemnation, but how about next week? Next week, we're going to have the flapjacks and flannel thing. It's a great opportunity for you to invite people t- to come without them feeling like they came to a Bible study. I, I ho- we should have 150 people here next week. Why not? I mean, invite your, invite your friends. We're going to have a great time. And they're going to hear testimony after testimony of what God has done in people's lives from all kinds of people here, including you, I hope. Okay? So, that, so we got this just do it level. Then we got, I mean, some of you are like, well, I've been doing it. Okay? And, uh, and here, here's what I, would, what I should say about this. Is for me, this was 12 years. This might, be, this might be one year. This might be 12 years for you. But the age range, I, I just want you guys to kind of th- think where you're at. The age range here, my guess, is somewhere around, you know, 18 to till you die. You know, just, you, just, you just keep on serving, okay? I mean, but the, the, the second level that I know that some of you guys are asking about as far as uh, appointment to leadership is, is this intern level. You know, people, are, people come to my office, and they're like, what is it, what's it going to take to be an intern here? And I've never thought, no, nah, that's not going to work for you. My thought is always, that's great. Why not? Let's get you ready. And here's my thought about as far as, as at that, that level of intern. I, w- I, I don't know if I can actually follow through with this, but basically I've said I want to hire anybody who I can't stand to l- do ministry without. I want people at this level doing, doing internships here who I don't have to tell what to do. They tell me what to do. Seriously. I mean, Luke, Luke tells me what I need to know. I don't want to have to tell him what's going on. I want him to be five steps ahead of me so he can do it. And he's, he's, he's growing into that. Same with Victoria. Victoria running the coffee shop. You know, it used to be that I'd come in here and people were like, we're out of milk. It's like, why are you telling me? That, nobody tells me that anymore at all. Because Victoria has run that coffee shop so well. Thank you, Victoria. Okay. Age here is, my guess, the age here, this internal level age is, you know, between, if you know, just as you think about moving into ministry, I think you're, you know, anywhere from 19 to 25 year, years old, and this could be for, you know, one or two or f- five years, where you're serving at the level that Victoria and and Luke are, that kind of thing. Okay, then the next level is is at of leadership is at a junior pastor level, and this is I'm, what I'm what I'm talking about here is is at the level that Matt's been serving, you know. Matt, Matt has Matt's been here f- with us for a year and a half, and he's got another half a year before he moves to Japan. Praise God! But, um, but I wish I'd, I wish, I wish, I'm thinking, who's gonna replace Matt? How about ten of you replace Matt? Yeah. I'm serious. Yeah. I mean, w- yeah. <laughs> Did he say yeah? Okay. I'm asking. I mean, th- th- I think we're working towards doing ministry where we've got, we've got ministers of the gospel coming out of this group. And that takes lots of commitment. It takes lots of love. It takes intimacy with the Lord Jesus. And it's not something that you can just be appointed. It has to be, you have to, this, it takes, Matt's, how old are you, Matt? Matt's 26. Okay, it takes some, some maturity. And it takes maturity and time of spending time with the Lord, consistently loving Jesus without wavering, and consistently loving people without giving up on them. Okay, so, I think, I mean, my thought is that, you know, it, this, this is anywhere from like 23 years old 
to 30 years old, that, that age range for you guys, just as you're thinking future. And this could be anywhere, you know, uh, anywhere from three to eight years of, of, work, of serving Jesus at the junior level of pastor. And then, of course, you know, if you guys are thinking long-term ministry, um, I'll write the word pastor here, but it's more than just being a pastor. It's, it's, it's full-time living day in and day out with everything about your life being ministry. And truthfully, th- I mean, I, I, this didn't happen for me until I was, I didn't become a pastor until I was 34 years old. Again, I wasn't planning to. It just kind of happened by accident. But, you know, I think, I think there's people that can, be, that can become this, you know, maybe, you know, so could be as, as little as 30, as young as 30 um, and up. But it, ta- it takes a level of maturity. It's not just knowing the Bible. It's, it, takes a le- it takes consistency with the Lord day after day after day, loving Jesus, confessing sin, loving people, helping them to follow Jesus. Okay, the reason I'm sharing this with you guys is because I'm thinking, I'm, li- I'm reading about Paul. I'm like, he spent a year with these guys, and then he passes on the responsibility, and he moves on. I'm thinking, can I move on? I'm not, I love what's going on here. I don't have any plan to move on, and I don't have any sense like, oh, I need, I, I've, I've done my time here. I'm, I'm ready to move on to some bigger thing. This is the big thing. This is strategic. I'm here not because I needed a job. I'm here doing this because I'm trying, to, I'm trying to convince you guys that your life matters, and we're building a kingdom, and you are needed. God has gifted you and called you. And so tonight, I'm just, let's just close with this. Let's close with um, you. Th- you th- just go ahead and close your eyes. And I want you. I want to. A- I want you to ask yourself where you are. In, first of all, in this commitment of wanting to participate in the kingdom building of Jesus, even if it costs you. Are you willing to let, are you willing to experience pain for the sake of the kingdom? And the second thing I want to ask you is, are you willing to work towards preparing yourself for ministry? I know you guys are preparing for all kinds of things. And some of you are like, no, I'm not going to, I'm not interested in that. That's good if you can recognize that. Some of you are like, no, I'm not going to. I'm not preparing myself for ministry, but I am preparing myself to fund ministry so that people can go overseas, so that we can finish this great commission. Okay, here's what I want to do. I just um, we don't we don't do this often, but I'm going to ask. Uh, so the Lord's speaking to some of you, and some of you are like, yeah, I, I'm I am being called by Jesus to a, a level of sacrificial lifestyle. And I'm willing to stand up and say, that's me. God's doing something in my heart tonight. And I am ready to say, yes, Lord. Here I am. Send me. So if that's you, I want to invite you to stand up. I want to pray for you. Would you just, would, would all of you, 
whether you're standing up or not, would you just, would you say, Lord, here's my life. I trust you. I want you to get maximum glory from me. Would you show me the way? Would you help me to be faithful, to love you and follow you? Whatever the cost, whatever people say, however far, whatever it takes, help me to follow you. Lord, we love you. Would you I just want to ask you, Holy Spirit, to seal these, the, the commitments that are being made tonight. Stepping, of, of saying together, here I am, Lord, send me. My life is for you, for ministry. Lord, I don't know what the next steps are for even myself, much less anybody else. But I'm asking you, Lord, that you'll guide us. You promised that you would lead us and teach us in the way that we should go, that you'll counsel us with your eye on us. And so, Lord, I'm asking you to do that for my friends right here. Show us the next steps. And would, you, would glory come to the name of Jesus because of the people in this room. And that so many people around the world would know of your goodness because of them. We love you, Lord. Teach us to love you more. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let me tell you what else is happening tonight. We're, we're going outside. We're going to baptize um, Elijah. So, uh, guys, let's, let's do this. It's cold out there. Elijah's going to be colder. So let's go out there, and, um, and we'll baptize him in a couple minutes.